2: Looking for the best that European football has to offer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to On the Continent. I'm Doton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David College. On today's goal scorers feast, Bayern and Poland without Lewandowski. What does his absence mean to his club's fortunes in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga? And where to next after Man City for Sergio Aguero? Bayern? Hmm, Barcelona? Hmm, Atletico? We'll come back to that. And under-21s in the international spotlight. So, first of all, let's talk about the absence of uh, Europe's on-form goalscorer for the last uh, few seasons, you know, Lewandowski in your team, you're going to get goals, but he's not in your team at the moment if you're Bayern or if you're Poland. Andy, how big a blow, first of all, is the absence of Lewandowski to his team, to Bayern?
3: It's, it's big, Dotton. And I think there are two sides to this firstly I think losing Lewandowski at any point is huge for Bayern um, one because we know the amount of goals he scores for them he scored what 41% of their goals in the Bundesliga this season and um, he's was was on course uh, to easily beat Gert Müller's uh, season record of 40s on 35 at the the, the moment in the Bundesliga um, because he, he and we don't really know how buy and play without him because he so rarely misses games he's just incredibly durable um, he doesn't like to rest um, you look at say Sandro Wagner who um, turned up as it looked like the ideal uh, locum for Lewandowski um, a couple of years ago and he quickly got bored of it because he thought well where are the opportunities to to play you know I'm I maybe getting five, ten minutes here and here and there and and that's it. I think the the brochure was a lot more attractive than the day to day. And um that's why and I, I guess it happens quite a lot in modern football with um elite strikers, particularly with a lot of teams playing with only one centre forward. It's like, you know, how how do Spurs get back up for Harry Kane? You know, how do you sell um, a future of not really playing to a player who's good enough to, to step in and, you know, at, at least hit 75, 80% of the, 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 the level of that player? And the reason they've got to get used to playing with Lewandowski is, is not just about the goals, though. It's about everything else that he does. And that's what made him such a star at Dortmund in the first place. And why they made such an incredible botch of their succession plan for him. Because um, when Lewandowski went in uh, 2014, um, Jurgen Klopp and Dortmund tried to replace him with not one striker, but two strikers in Adrian Ramos and uh, Chido Immobile. And neither of them really worked because they realized that not you couldn't get one player to replace Lewandowski. Because if you've got someone who's your goal scorer, your hold-up man, who likes to fight defenders, and my goodness, he likes to fight defenders. He really relishes the physical part of the game. Someone who can make runs into space and open up space for his teammates. Um, someone who can even drop and make a pass, which has been required of him a little less at a, a Bayern, admittedly. He performs enough functions for that team to m- mean it requires a mini-evolution to replace him. It is not just a case of... Um, struggling to replace him with a player of the requisite quality because clearly Bayern have a fantastic squad and I, I still have them as, as title favourites and I still have them as just about favourites um, to to get through against Paris Saint-Germain in, in, in the Champions League. And that's what come where we come to the second part of it. It's not just the injury, it's the chronology. The fact that Bayern are going to Leipzig on Saturday, who are four points behind them in the Bundesliga at the moment, and Leipzig couldn't have a better opportunity maybe I don't know maybe you could argue this puts a little bit too much pressure on them and the other thing is that they've got this uh, Champions League quarterfinal with PSG in a, a rerun of, of, of last um, of last season's final now obviously it's all over the German papers today that um, Lewandowski has been ruled out for a month he's planning to come back in two weeks which is him all over he's targeting the second leg it looks like of um the 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 Champions League quarter final with Paris Saint-Germain a lot depends on what happens in that first leg i suppose but david i think it's not just the the reality of playing without him it's it's a big psychological blow isn't it and it it gives everyone else a lift
4: yeah absolutely i think you know lewandowski is now recognized as one of the most prominent figures in the game Um, and I think if you are an opponent firstly coming up against that you know that he isn't there and there certainly isn't a player of his level to come in and replace him then you are going to approach that game differently you're not going to completely switch off of course but you do approach things in a different way You're, you're not as concerned you have maybe a bit more confidence you'll look at it as like Hmm, have we got more of a chance now in this game? We perhaps had a, you know, perhaps the game was 50 50 before. Maybe now, we, we, you know, we've got a 70% chance, maybe more. Um, and so I think they'll look at it like that. As for Bayern as well, it's again, it's a, it's a double edged sword here. You know, uh, they will feel the repercussions of, of not having him there. And um, not only for the actual census that you pointed out in terms of his movement and what he offers the team outside of goals, but also, again, he's one of their main figures. If you look across that team um, in, in terms of senior figures, there aren't too many there A alarm type figure isn't there for instance um, for them Um, so you know somebody like Naja from from being a goalkeeper is going to have to be the most senior figure there perhaps so Lewandowski is definitely going to be a a big big miss in, in that sense and Who comes in to replace him? You know, again, is is a difficult one because I think I think you hit the nail on the head saying there's going to be have to be a mini evolve there. Whatever happens, they're going to have to change a few things, and it's going to be interesting to see how how Flick handles that. He's obviously under I'd say a degree of pressure already. There's lots of talk, you know, that he might leave in the summer um, and such, um, and I think it'll be a big big test of his capabilities as to how he navigates this.
2: Yeah, the I I wonder when you look at these two things, in case anybody does not know, Lewandowski got injured playing against Andorra, and clearly he was missed by the Polish team when they took on England uh last night. But they I I wonder when you look at it from the Bayern perspective, which one of those two important fixtures or which one of those yeah, two important tournaments over the next few weeks you will miss Lewandowski in the most. Can they weather the storm better in the Champions League um, in the first instance against Paris Saint-Germain, or can they weather the storm, the absence of a storm of Lewandowski not being there, um, better in the Bundesliga, if you know what I mean, Andy? Which do you think?
3: I I, I think Bundesliga. I think you're right. I I think... um, it's, it's worked quite well from a, a building tension perspective from uh, for various marketers of the Bundesliga, I think, because um, that Leipzig-Bayern game has pride of place on, on, on Saturday. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the big game at um, 6.30 local time on, on, on Saturday. The fact that it's at Leipzig and the fact that they're going out uh, um, there with Lewandowski, it, it does sort of breathe a, a bit of excitement into the title race that perhaps hasn't been there you know we felt Leipzig just about clinging on but you know do we really believe that Leipzig are gonna overtake them I think it does take a a a little bit of a jump to think that that will happen I think if Leipzig were gonna get something from this then we'd start to feel a little differently because of course they don't have any Champions League commitments any anymore, and and buy and do at least for this quarter final, and they will hope going on a, a little bit more as well. But it does put a peculiar sort of pressure on Leipzig, doesn't it? Because it's like right now, this is your chance; you have to take it. So, do they have to be? a little bit more daring than they really would want to be against Bayern because they feel it's a lewandowski list Bayern and this is their chance to close a gap. And not just this is their chance to close the gap, Dotton, but the next couple of weeks are their chance to to close the gap and really make a title race of it. I, I do think, though, that in a weird sort of way, not that Bayern will be looking to anyone else for tips, but that Bayern can look at Leipzig and say, actually, that's how we... We work it because, of course, everything attacking wise goes through Lewandowski for for, for Bayern. But the fact is, um, Leipzig lost a a thirty goal striker in in the summer in Timo Werner, and they've not had a direct replacement. Okay, they got on um, in Alexander Sorlot, who is is by no means a like for like, and has struggled a little bit in the, uh, particularly in the first half of the season before um, motoring a little bit in in recent weeks, but. Julian Nagelsman said at the start of the season, didn't he? You know, we've got to share the, the, the goals around. We're, we're not going to get someone who's going to score as many goals as him. And Bayern are kind of in the in, in the same boat that Flick will be saying, right, I need everyone to to chip in. And they've got enough players who can can do that. They've got Goretzka, they've got Zane, um, they've got Komal, they've got Ganabri, who we know can drop into that more central position. So I'm sure they will have rationalised it already.
2: Surely, David, they would have rationalised that in the Champions League as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I'm um, glad Andy brought up Gnabry because for me, he is the one that I think they could use and, and not feel the the loss of Lewandowski as much. I think he's somebody who could be used like that. Um, he's done it before for Germany, um, if I'm correct, that he's played that more advanced role. He's certainly shown he's capable of it. Um, and I think mm. he's somebody especially if we're talking from a tactical point of view here in terms of his positioning and his movement, the actions that he makes, that he could potentially bring something to the table um, to, to make up for that that loss of Lewandowski.
3: And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You look at Gnabry's record for Germany in terms of goal scoring, it's almost Lewandowski-esque. He's going on almost a, a goal yeah. game for the senior team. It's, it's really, really impressive. So I, I agree, David. I think he can step in and... And do that. I think as well. If you look at Bayern as an overall prospect, they're in a much better nick now. And going on to what you wanted to talk about, Dotton, in terms of the Champions League, they're in much better nick now than they were when they started off the knockout stage against Lazio, where they couldn't even fill up the bench. And um, Musiala, who you know, I think deserves to get his chance because he's been excellent. Of course, making his Germany debut in this international window. Um, Musiala ends up in there because they're short of players and you know now they've got Pavard back now they've got Goretzka back and Goretzka back makes an enormous difference to them I think that's pretty clear he's been brilliant for them over the last year and probably their best non Lewandowski player in that period um, I think Bayern look a far more difficult prospect for their competitors and I do include Paris Saint-Germain in this um, coming into this this, this doubleheader than they did when they were really struggling. Because as we've said time and time again on the, the the show as well, when players come back from Corona, you can't tell what sort of nick they're gonna be in. Someone like uh, Joao Felix, for example, David, it's, it's taken him a while to get back to, I think that's something that's been largely overlooked about him, like people have just expected him to, to plug and play and, and, and been able to get on with it, which I think is unrealistic. We know the varying uh, effects it has on different people. Leon Goretzka, on the other hand, is a machine and has played exactly like people expect footballers to play when they come back from COVID as if they've just had two weeks off as if they've been on the beach, you know, which I think we're all a bit guilty of feeling about footballers sometimes, but I think going forward into that, I am wondering if the biggest injury absence in this Champions League quarterfinal, I know he's out for the game at the weekend is Marco Verratti. Because um, he's he's not playing against Lille this weekend. Um, we'll see if he can make it for the Champions League game. But you know, you know, it's it's away from our Lewandowski buying point. But um, you know, I I still think they'll 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 feel okay about this game. This double header with PSG.
2: Just out of interest, David, how much difference do you think Lewandowski a fit Lewandowski
4: would have made to the? England-Poland game. Oh, considerable. Yeah, he, he would have been a difference maker. I think, you know, you can you can drop somebody at that level in. Um, you, you know what I mean? I, I don't want, with all respect, an, an average team, and he really, really elevates the, the level of them. So he would have made a big difference, I think.
2: So what's the betting now, um, Andy? What's the betting in terms of Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich? Nevertheless, clearly PSG have got the kind of chance that you talk of Leipzig having an opportunity rather than chance of turning over the champions, uh, the champions of the Champions League at the moment. What is the betting on that? How do you see that match panning out?
3: Well, Dotton, like I was saying before, I do feel it's perception versus reality because the talk in France of Lewandowski being out has, has, has been huge. Everyone's been talking about it as if this is the door being opened for Paris Saint-Germain, which is a very dangerous way of looking at it. You know, the, the, the rest of the team is is absolutely fantastic. The rest of the squad is absolutely fantastic. It's a blow for them, there's no doubt about it. But they've still got the tools to, to beat Paris Saint-Germain. We'll
1: il va pouvoir glisser ce ballon avec Kötze Arturo Vidal ça c'est super dans la course et malgré l'intervention de Dante Robert Lewandowski
3: est présent pour venir permettre au Bayern Munich d'égaliser un partout
1: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Hello, I'm Clive Anderson, and My 7 Wonders is my podcast, where I sit down with some fascinating guests and ask them one simple question. If you could pick your own seven wonders of the world, what would they be? The guests' choices lead us to some interesting tales, whether it's Oma Lily being stopped by New York Customs. They brought me in for the interview. They said, so what are you doing? This? I'm doing a
3: show with Whoopi Goldberg. And the guy said, no, I'm doing a show with Whoopi Goldberg, as if you are. And I said, excuse me? I am. That's why I'm going there. He said, He's doing a show with Whoopi Goldberg.
2: <laughs> I can not believe my ears.
0: Olivia Lee, eating £120 apples at Sogo House.
4: I mean, it is hideously expensive. If I'm just going there once and taking an apple, it's the most expensive apple you'll ever eat.
0: Or David Badil talking about his dad's dementia.
3: The other thing he could remember are his regular insults. So still, when you leave my dad, if you say I'm off, he will say you've been off for years. And it's it's really comforting <laughs> that he can still abuse you in this way
2: way Forget the Taj Mahal and the Lighthouse of Alexandria. The wonders of the world we talk about are much more unique. Listen to my Seven Wonders now on your favorite podcast app.
1: My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stakhanov production.
2: This week it's been a tale of two great strikers in the news. And gives me real pleasure, actually, when you see Lewandowski on the one hand being talked about as being so important even for the uh, support of the Champions League, because the Champions League without Lewandowski is poorer. It's poorer. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. But imagine a Man City without Sergio Aguero. That's been the big news from over this side. After 10 years at the club, his contract's not going to be renewed. Um, all sort of friendly, no acrimony about it, but nevertheless... It almost seems as if you've taken a chunk out of the Premier League with Sergio Aguero leaving it because he was such a stalwart. So, and the conversation now is, David, on where he goes to next. There have been all sorts of uh, suggestions. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain seems to be an obvious one for uh, as the default European team for any top players who are looking to move. Uh, But there's a lot of Spanish interest with regards to Sergio Aguero, isn't there?
4: yeah, um, there certainly is. I think you know you you look at it um especially Barcelona have been consistently linked with him um throughout the years uh, Real Madrid had their time they've been linked with him quite often um you know when he was at leddy of course to to disrupt their noisy neighbors um and, and so I think there's definitely two options there Barcelona's probably the one um leaning more towards in terms of where I do think he would end up out of the the Spanish Giants. And then, of course, there's an Atleti return, which you do have to address as well, um, because he did play there. It's where he rose to prominence. Um, 97 goals he scored there, 70 of which were in the league. At the time of leaving, he was the 10th on the all-time scorers list. Um, he was such a, a phenomenal talent. There was, of course, that magical game Um, In 2008 against Barcelona, when I think it was the night that everybody learned who Sergio Aguero was. Um, So, yeah, his reputation in Spain is impeccably high. Um, So, yeah, I think he could end up in Spain, to be honest with you.
3: It's it's an interesting thought, isn't it, David? Um, His relationship with not just Atletico, but the, the, the city of Madrid. I mean, Atletico have changed so much since he's been gone and he's changed so much uh since he's been gone as well because really like they, they were a bit crap when when he was there and um of course he, he he won the Europa League with them in 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 2010 but they were nothing like what they're like now a team that challenges uh, a team that's a a Champions League perennial i mean on one hand it is a it's a beautiful ending to the story On the other hand, I do wonder, especially with the muscle injuries he's had, do they feel we've been bitten a little bit bringing back former glories with big contracts? I mean, I'm not saying he would be the next Diego Costa, but it's it's got to make you think about that, right?
4: Oh, 100%. I don't think, you know, you've got to look at their financial situation as well. And yeah, even though Aguero's... um, Going towards the end of his career, he's still going to command a decent wage. And yes, he is on a free transfer, but there's lots of fee. I always say there's no such thing as a free transfer these days when you look at signing on bonuses and, and wages and such. So, and then you look at the injury situation, and I don't think I'd let you would risk it. And I think there would probably also be an argument from a certain section of their fan base that we don't want him back because there was a there was an interview he once did. Um it was poor out there that he would never, ever sign for Real Madrid. And he actually came out and denied that. He was like, I never said that. And that went down really, really badly with a, with a big car of Atleti fans.
2: <laughs> <laughs> actually, what David touches on there might have something to do with where uh, Sergio Aguero ends up, Andy, because it's not just in that respect that uh, Sergio Aguero has to walk on eggshells with regards to the Atleti fans, is it?
3: No, and I think it's it's interesting because when he originally went to Manchester City, because Manchester City, again, weren't the Manchester City then that they are now, it was pre them being uh, Premier League title winners, um, there was quite a strong whiff of conspiracy in Spain that because he couldn't. Politically and um, aesthetically, as David was saying, make the move straight from Atletico to Real Madrid. There was quite a strong like core of belief that he was just at Manchester City as a as a bridge to to, to get to Real Madrid. Not quite, you know. Robert Yani ended up at Coventry before he went to Real Madrid, like two months later. But but that sort of ballpark, you, you know. Um, so I, th- I think that's what makes his achievements really at Manchester City all the more remarkable because no one no one expected him to to be there for a decade. But when we talk about where he, he might go next, I I do wonder about Italy actually because you know that is a a place where the 30 something striker get stuck in. I mean I know with thinking um at the moment of uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic of course who's extraordinary and not representative of any movement or any trend but you know then we go backwards to uh, Luca Toni, Di Natale, players who actually improved after their 30th birthday. Now I'm not saying um the Milan lab is is, is what it once was in terms of being ahead medically and uh, physiologically of um every other department out there in European football, because I, I don't believe that's the case. But there is quite a convincing body of evidence to suggest that he could maybe get out there and, you know, have have a few more very, very good years in Europe, if that's indeed what he wants.
4: Yeah, no, I think it you know, Juve absolutely love a free transfer, so, so they'll just look at it just because of that. Um, I think... Barcelona interests me because you're talking about convincing bodies and I think the body of Lionel Messi is extremely convincing. Just going to that new board and saying, hey, look, they messed up letting Suarez go. Why don't we get Aguero in and, and just fill that little striker hole, get those 20, 25 goals. I think that's an option that you, you have to look at.
2: Yeah, one more thing that we have to look at in this conversation. Obviously, if if uh, Aguero were to go to Barcelona, there are other players in the pecking order for Barcelona. Um and Antoine Griezmann comes to mind immediately. Uh arguably hasn't performed to the level that uh, was expected of him when he went there, Andy. Um what would happen to him in that scenario of uh, Aguero coming there? And also, please do tell people what I was hoping you'd say earlier on when I threw to you about the uh, Atletico um, fans is the, the greeting that Thibaut Courtois got when he showed up with Real Madrid, <laughs> just to give us an insight into what Sergio Aguero might get if he chooses the wrong club in Spain
3: well one of the one of the wonderful features of um the new stadium the Wanda Metropolitano which is not um part of Atleti's old barrio so it's it's maybe not got quite the same spirit despite their efforts the club to 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 bring that in one of the things they did to um Atletico I suppose is put this kind of Hollywood style walk of fame outside the stadium with a, a, a little um i I guess Tile for every player who made 100 appearances for the club, and so obviously you've got some um, really loved and cherished players there. And uh, Tibor Courtois is, is is one of those. Now, the first time they played Real Madrid, um, all the Atleti fans just dropped all their trash on it, and th- that that completely covered that up. And uh, that was yeah, some something at the at the time. So I'm I'm not quite sure where. Sergio Aguero would have to end up well I do know where he'd have to end up for that to happen I think that they're another club in Madrid who've had uh, more than their share of old strikers but but while we're talking about former Atletico legends the the Griezmann chat is is very interesting I agree Don because um, whether or not Aguero were to come there's got to be a question mark over his future and you see him go away this week for France and be so productive of course uh, a a couple of big goals for them that brilliant goal against Ukraine and then the the winner in Bosnia which was a really uninspiring France performance and he he helped them out of a hole and just the level of consistency of Griezmann at international level is extraordinary you know this week he also as well as passing Trezeguet for the third in France's all-time scoring list he passed Patrick Vieira for the most consecutive games played for France without a break. So Vieira was 44. Griezmann is now on 46 after that game against uh, Bosnia. And it's particularly extraordinary when you think how much he puts in. Now, I know a lot of people will look at him and think, oh, well, it's Diego Simeone Stockholm Syndrome. But you ask people who are with him at Real Sociedad, and they will say Griezmann was always like that. He always ran like a dog. He always put so much in. And that's what attracted Simeone to him in the first place. I always feel, David, that that's a little bit undervalued at Barcelona. And also, and I hate to bring an NBA analogy into this. I don't hate to bring an NBA analogy into this. But if the Joao Felix thing didn't quite work out, would there be some sort of three team trade sort of thing where griezmann ended up back at atletico would that be the worst thing in the world for them or for him Um,
4: atleti do love to to run it back so i think they definitely assess it and it nor would it be the worst move for them but ultimately i think atleti need to stop doing these uh kind of sentimental deals and they probably need to, to look elsewhere i'd actually say that uh I'm going to throw this one at you. I think yeah. if, they, if they do replace João Felix, they should actually look to the man who eventually replaced Griezmann at Real Sociedad, Oyathabal.
3: Oh, that's interesting.
4: Yeah, just a really exciting um, winger at Real Sociedad who's who's grown into a more creative attacking midfield role. Um, despite being extremely young himself, he's, he's, he's a leader there. He's got an excellent attitude, sort of attitude I think Simeone would really love. You know, no social media, no tattoos, that sort of thing. You know, just very much grit and grind. Um, so I think that I think I think they'd love him. <laughs> um, so so yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Getting back to Griezmann, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think time will actually be really, really kind on him. I think once he retires, once he goes on, I think people will look back at the sort of role that he performed. If they look at his transition from an every quick, skillful winger at Real Sociedad to Atleti, this incredible workhorse who, you know, moulded his role from a winger into an attacking midfielder, but almost a defensive attacking midfielder. Um, I think, unfortunately, this Barcelona move hasn't worked out. I don't think they knew what they were properly buying in terms of how he would be used. And that's sadly gone against his legacy. Um, Fortunately, he can go away with France, as we've discussed, and, and he still stands out, and he's such a key component in that team. How is France using him, though, that Barcelona isn't using him?
3: I think the difference is, Dotton, is that France is always the the centre of everything. And Didier Deschamps' big choice, really, in, say, Euro 2016, is where he stopped, and I've, I've talked about this before, where he stopped trying to make Pogba the central piece of the team and moved on to making Griezmann the central piece of the team. And that's what Olivier Giroud owes his France career to. You know, he's there to be the foil for Griezmann. So he can be that that second striker or that that nine and a half or or, or however you want to put it. But, you know, he's never going to be the main guy at Barcelona. And, you know, I, th- I think it's easy to look at him and think he's someone who plays so selfis- selflessly, maybe. He can do without being the main guy. I don't think the two things are contradictory. I think you can have a need to be the main man and still work feverishly for the team, and, and that's where Griezmann is. I think.
2: Let's shine the spotlight now on Europe's under-21 group stage of the Euros. Disappointment from England, but all the other teams in Europe seem to have the best young players uh, around. I I don't know where we should start on this one. Should we start with Spain and Portugal, David? uh, They've got a lot of players coming through. That is worrying over the next few years. For anybody else who's in competition with them, that is.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think if if you look at the players that are coming through at under twenty one level, I'd say that Spain, Portugal, and France have probably got the biggest group of players that you could say. Oh, why well, they could be in the full national team side. Um, you know, they they really really stand out to that sense, um, and and they've made the they've all made the the knockout stages that uh, begin in in May. Um, so yeah, in in terms of the future. And present, it looks really, really good for those nations. Um, obviously, we should look at the
2: the star players in these under-21 groups, Andy. But I wonder, just on a broader level, whether it is the players that are making the difference or it's the way that the play is conducted. You know, the coaches making the difference. Because we've got a golden generation as well, but we don't seem to be shining like the countries that David mentioned there, France, Spain and Portugal.
3: Well, I, th- I think a, a lot else has been said about A.D. Boothroyd or elsewhere in the um, Ramble network. And yes, I am looking at you, Luke Moore. Um, I, I think there's clear issues with uh, the, the, the way England have been run. And I, I think the fact that they have, as I said elsewhere, that someone who's a manager rather than a coach in charge, I think is, is a big issue. Um, for England, and they need to figure out how they they're, they're going to move on from there. But I think as well, we mustn't underrate the the the, the talent of some of these other nations, as as, as David pointed out before. Um, now, I, I think as as well, I, I, there's there's always a few that take take you aback a little. For me, it was the Netherlands who were particularly impressive when they uh, thrashed Hungary six one. And you you think there, not only is there quality, there's real experience. A lot of players who've played very, very good level of football for quite a long time. And I know there's uh, Myron Bayadu, for example, who... um, David pointed out as uh, as one of his ones to watch in his excellent um, ESPN column with um, Talk Christian Carlson before the game, and maybe we'll get into a, a few more of those players in a, in a minute. But you know, you look at uh, Kurt Miners, who I, I think could do a, a, a good um, knitting things together midfield job for a, a lot of teams in, in in the top flight of European football. Um, Gakpo's played a, a, a lot of. Um, good quality football for, for for PSV Eindhoven as well. And then, you know, you look at you look at Italy and you, you look at players like uh Scamacca, who I think has been absolutely brilliant uh for Genoa this season. I I think he can he can step up a level. You look at Patrick Cutrone, who's played in a couple of different countries already, um, which I I think makes an enormous difference. Or so is he onto his third different country. And I think that broadens your your football education. So to see what's out there as well, it, it's good to get out of the bubble. And I think whether you follow um, the Premier League or just La Liga or or whatever, I think it's easy to get that sort of locked-in sense of, oh yeah, the young talent here is amazing. I mean, that is one of the the, the best bits about the Euro Under Twenty One that it shows you what else is out there, and you show you see where everyone else is is, is coming from.
2: In respect of that, David, what what's the talent that you've seen? Who are the uh,
4: bright stars of under-21 football that we should keep an eye on for the future? There's one player, Andy's going to be very, very happy that I've brought him up, and uh, I think Wolves fans will be as well. But I thought Vitinha was sensational for uh, Portugal. Um, I think he's such a mature, intelligent player. Mm. He's a young player, but... My word, he, he plays like somebody who's 28, 29, who's got Champions League performances under his belt, titles under his belt. He's a very smart player. I love, you know, a bit of a number eight, likes to drop in between centre-backs, get the ball off them, initiate player. Um, he's excellent physical qualities, excellent, excellent technical qualities. And I think he's going to be somebody you'll see at Wolves in the next maybe two to three years, pretty much looking to run that midfield.
3: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I think Portugal have had so much quality to watch. I mean, winning all th- three of their group games, of, of, of course. Um, but for, for, for me, I'm, I'm all in on the Francisco Conceicao hype train. And it was good to see him get the third goal against um, Switzerland. You know, he's, he's bearing a big name um, from his dad, but he, I think he's ready to deal with it. And to be in there at 18 years old and already with the guts to express yourself in those sort of games I, I think he's is is very very impressive in in indeed but I think you look elsewhere as well um, Pedro Gonçalves or um Pote as he's otherwise known um he's had a good group stage he's been one of the best players if not the best player um in um the the league the in Portugal this season with Sporting he's been a huge part of their title push and the way that he lands himself in the box. I think there's something a bit David Platt about it actually. Um with more technical ability than than maybe people give him credit for as as, as well. So I think that's that that that's that's something to look forward to as, as as well. You need to see the pathway. I mean that's the issue when we're going back to um people talking about England earlier in the week you need to see that pathway. And Boothroyd's talked quite a lot about creating that pathway. It's more difficult to see than he explains, uh, I think. Whereas I think you look at Portugal as an example, or maybe France as an example. Maybe the pathway is slightly obscured by the fact there's so much competition with France, even though there's some real quality in that. And I I think at times you can look at this tournament and think it is a bit of a France-Portugal arms race, really, particularly when you look at the first teams at, at, at the moment. But I think... You look at young players with flair in Portugal, for example, and I think in the past, especially after Euro 2016, people would have said, it's built in the image of Fernando Santos. How is he going to bring through young players? Well, he's done that for the first team already. You know, you look at those players like um, Bernardo Silva, Joao Felix, who have been allowed to express themselves, allowed to come in. Pedro Neto, uh, who came on for Joao Felix and, and changed the game, actually. Uh, in that game against Luxembourg, when they were really under the cosh um, the other night, and that they they were losing, and he made a, a huge difference. To the Wolves player, I, I think now you can see how those promising Portugal under twenty ones can find a way to to get into the first team, and that above and beyond the results is 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 what it's all about. Um,
4: yes, it's it's funny you mentioned that pathway because if you speak to anyone who's involved with Spain during their their golden era when they finally started winning tournaments, they always cite the pathway and the channel from under-17s through to the under-19s, through to the under-21s, and then through to the top team. There was always that pathway there, um, be it uh, a a synergy between the coaches in terms of what they profess in training uh, over style, um, over training ground drills. And it was always so, so important that every time a player made the step from the under-19s to the 21s. Under-21s, yes, the quality level was much higher, but it was made easier to transition because you were playing the same sort of style. And, and that's so so helpful for a player. It's pointless you being in the under-19s with a a very all-out attacking coach playing uh, 4-3-3. Then going into another setup where you are defensive, you are expected to play a different type of role, maybe you know a counter-attacking role, or you soak up a lot of pressure in games. Um, it's it's very very difficult to understand. There was always a role carved out when Thiago Alcántara was in the uh, Spain the twenty-one setup. You could already see the role that he had in the in the future national team, and that's always so so important. I think for for these young players especially.
2: Yeah, one young player that's gone under. Our radar, uh, certainly my radar in any case, is Brian Brobby, David. He plays in the Dutch leagues uh, and plays for the Netherlands as well. What can you tell us about
4: him? Yes, um, he's at Ajax at the moment in the Netherlands, but he has agreed a a transfer to RB Leipzig. So they've always been impressive when it comes to snaring young talent. Um, I think it's a really, really good move for him. Uh, The style that Leipzig play really, really suits him. He's such a, a blistering, energetic, powerful uh, force in attack. It's, it's fantastic to watch him play because he's got, he's, as well as that, he's got incredible instincts in and around the penalty area. He's got that natural poacher look about him. He can back in, he can bully defenders, but he's also just got a little bit of street smart about him in terms of when and where to make the right moves. Um, and I think he looks like somebody who could be a, a real, real force when it comes to uh, attackers in the future. Sounds like the kind of player that the Dutch
2: used to produce on a regular, you know, as a young player, there's so many names in the past, but now you're talking about him as if he is idiosyncratic
4: for the Netherlands. Yeah, absolutely. I think he suits the way that they're, they're going. And, and, and Andy brought up a few names as well. You look at Mordu as well, just another one who looks fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I think when you look at that Dutch team, and they're, they're producing um, a lot of really, really exciting tacking of players, whether it be wingers, whether it be strikers or uh, creative types. So which of these talents that we've talked about will we
2: be talking about, let's say, in a year or two's time as talents that have shaken up their respective leagues and the game in general in Europe? Andy?
3: I'm, I'm going to have to go French, aren't I? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's 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 not it's not going to be the captain it's not going to be uh, Matteo Genduzzi we mentioned um, him on the Ramble earlier in the week actually uh, Ibrahim Okonate who I think is going to be a big star when he, he leaves Leipzig uh, a lot of people who've watched Leipzig for a while including me would say he's maybe even a better out and out defender than Dio Pumikano. Um so for me Conate will go a very long way. How many French caps that will get him is a different question because, again, the strength and depth they have at centre back is unreal.
2: And David, um, I suppose you're going to have to go Spain or Portugal.
4: Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with my Portuguese man. I've still been that impre- I've been that impressed by him, but Vitinha. So yeah, I think Wolves have just got a fabulous player there that they can get really, really excited about right now.
2: So it's at the point where we ask you both to suggest a great game that we can all watch this weekend, a game of the week. Uh, Andy, you've got one, and perhaps unsurprisingly?
3: I can't work out, Dotton, why it's not Sunday night at 8 o'clock. But it's not Sunday night at 8 o'clock. It's Saturday afternoon at 4. It's uh, Paris Saint-Germain versus... Lille, obviously because of Champions League commitments, um, so th- th- giving given PSG a little bit of extra rest, um, I do jest, and um, it's huge because uh, Paris Saint-Germain, I think the feeling is, as we spoke at, um, on last week's OTC amongst some people, is that them putting Leon in their place was them taking control of the title race and saying, right, well we're not We're not going to have any more of this going forward, having not got very many points off the other top teams so far this season. But I think it goes back to that, the fact that they haven't taken a lot of points off the other top teams so far this season. And Lille are very much one of those. They've um, led the table for a, a lot of the season. They've had a few little splutters at home recently. So I think they'll be happy to go to the Parc des Princes rather than have it at Stade pierre Mauroy. And um, th- there are a few... Issues for PSG. Firstly, the fact that Marco Verratti, who's been their main creative force under Pochettino, is not going to play. We'll see if he makes it back um, to the, the the Champions League game against um, Bayern. And the, the fact, the positioning of this, the fact that this is directly before the Bayern game, which is obviously the hugest in Paris Saint-Germain's season, it's, it's, it's not enviable timing, really. I, I think they're going to struggle to have both eyes on on this game. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe it turns out to be the absolutely perfect tune-up for them to to take them to the the next level. But I believe in this, this Lille team. I think Christophe Galtier is a great coach who's done a brilliant job there. They've had a few little stutters in 2021. But I think for all the way you can pull apart what Lille might have done, This International Week has taught us one thing. Burak Yilmaz is still absolutely brilliant at 35. And if he'd not been out injured for quite a lot of 2021 so far, they would still be on top of the table. I think it's that simple. So um, Burak has got himself back into Nick playing for the national team. We're talking about the under-21s before. Jonathan Ikone, who's been carrying a little injury, has got himself back into Nick playing for the France under-21s. I think there's everything here to suggest that it, it could be a very competitive game and from the perspective of of lyon and monaco they'll be wanting to take advantage of these teams taking points off each other
2: absolutely mouth-watering although i thought you'd go for the Bayern leipzig game i thought that was the obvious one
3: it was close there's also a dortmund eintracht frankfurt on saturday afternoon which is is going to give us a huge steer on dortmund's champions league future
2: I actually think you've chosen the most mouth watering one out of those options. But, David, you've got some
4: suggestion for us as well in terms of game of the week? Yeah, absolutely. Sunday, 8pm, uh, we've got Sevilla versus Atletico Madrid. Always a game that's presented you know, fireworks down the years. I think that, you know, this, if you look at this game coming into it, uh, both teams, you know, being bounced out the Champions League um, recently Um, they've got the league to focus on Um, Atleti you know have had that big big lead at the top of the Liga for some time it's now dwindled down so a lot of pressure on them Um, I think Sevilla are going to look at things and say, can we add more pressure and also potentially try and secure a a higher place in the league? Um, I think this one's going to be really, really interesting. There's not going to be many goals in it, I don't think. And it's going to be very tight. It's going to be a very, very tactical affair between, I think, two coaches who are going to be a little bit cagey at first, feel each other out in Lopetegui and Simeone. But I think we will see a winner at the end of this one. And um, I think Sevilla might be able to you know, for another spanner in the league's uh, title race again by beating that lady. It
2: would be great to be watching the same match as Sergio Agüero is watching.
1: <laughs> this was a Stakanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.